0: i Maureen Milliken. And I'm Rebecca Milliken, and this is Crime and
1: Stuff. And we're using our new software again. Yes. We've upgraded it and paid for it. We're off the trial. And I admit, with the last episode, I had
0: <laughs> some...
1: I think my voice we were, sounded better. We were slower. drunk.
0: No. I, hit I some, sounded like I was... Yeah,
1: I hit a, hit a wrong thing at some point, and it slowed us down. I think my voice actually probably sounded better... To some people, but in any case, we have a lot going on today, we so do. we need to get right at it. And I'll start because I have three updates. Is that okay? All right? Is yes. that all right if I no, do that first? Because I've got one too. I'll do it after. Okay, and I'm gonna go in order of what these are, what episodes these are updates. For. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> just to be organized. Okay, episode three, our Ayla Reynolds episode, and also I just want to say that. I'm not going to go into all the grisly details of each of these episodes. You can go back and listen if you're unfamiliar listener. Episode 3, Ayla Reynolds' Disappearance. On March 19th, a Cumberland County Superior Court judge granted Trista Reynolds, Ayla's mother, another 60 days to find Justin DiPietro, Ayla's father, and serve him with a wrongful death suit in the disappearance of Ayla, Trista's lawyer is going to place legal notices in the Morning Sentinel newspaper, which is still a thing you have to do when you're trying to prove you can't ah, get a hold of somebody. Well, yeah. And a, it's a very quick aside: one of the things that has killed revenues for newspapers, people may not be realize. You know, people are, are always it's the internet, it's the internet, which is true. But it was classified advertising. Legal sense. ads are still required <laughs> as long as broadband isn't universally. Available legal ads are still required in newspapers, which is one of the things keeping them afloat. But in any case, the ad has to tell him they're looking for him, and I think it has to go in for two weeks. And they're also having a process server go to his last known address in Winnetka, California. If any of you in Winnetka are listening, you may want to go knock him up and tell him to get his button gear. Ayla disappeared from Justin's house in Waterville, Maine, on December seventeenth, two 2011, and was declared dead in 2017. She was 20 months old when she disappeared. Trista Reynolds' stepfather, Jeff Hansen, told the Morning Sentinel when um, Trista got the 60-day extension to find him, Justin obviously knows by now that we are looking for him. He has the answers we are looking for. Mm. Why would he hide from that? And Trista's lawyer, William Childs, Detailed in a court filing uh, what had been done to find Justin to try to serve him, and it included going to his former home in Waterville, where his mother said he hadn't lived for two years, going to the home in Winnetka, California, where sheriff or whoever who served it there was told he hadn't lived there since July. They had Hmm. a private investigator remain look for a current address in social media, criminal records, driver's license, vehicle information, property deeds, hunting and weapons permits, online telephone directories, a California criminal index, medical facilities, post office records, and other documents. They're thorough. And the lawyer said that after the process is done and they prove they made every effort to find him, they can start the discovery process, which includes depositions and other things, and that'll continue probably into next year. One report I read, the suit could be tossed if he's not found. They didn't attribute that, and I don't believe it's true. I've read enough of these things, done enough articles, and listened to enough podcasts that I believe if they prove they made every effort to find him, the case can proceed without him. And usually, when that happens, there's a finding in case in the case of the person who filed the case because the other person isn't answering. The the problem is, I
0: think one of the reasons they probably want to do this civil trial is to get information. Right, because you have to depose the person yeah. and that would be a reason he wouldn't want to
1: make himself yes. available for that because initially he talked to the cops. He took at least one lie detector test but he hasn't much and he moved as
0: far away in the United States from Maine as you could to California. And I think this this case too is the one, if you say the name Alo Reynolds, pretty much anyone that's lived here knows. knows yeah, who, it's going to go. And everybody wants to know Right. What where's, what happened? We, don't, we Episode 7,
1: update, Luke Tiemann, Um <sighs> He's from one of our main Men <laughs> Who Killed the Women Who Love Them episode. And his lawyer argued on March 5th before the Maine Supreme Court that Facebook messages sent from Luke's wife Valerie's Facebook account to a friend saying Luke was cheating on her shortly before she disappeared and was then found dead, shouldn't have been admitted in his murder trial because it can't be proved that it was her who sent the messages even though it was her Facebook account. They argue before the main Supreme Court on March 5th. You know, the court doesn't immediately make a decision. Yeah. I'm putting a link to the oral arguments to the Supreme Court because the Supreme Court webpage has them. To anyone yes. who wants to listen... Did he and, represent himself again? No, he had a lawyer. And <sighs> look for... The item, I put them in, things are in order of when we recorded, so this would be a recent one. It'll be titled Update to Episode 7. By the way, Teman was convicted in May 2018 of killing Valerie in the summer of 2016. And if you want to know more, you can listen to Episode 7. Yes. And my third update is to Episode 63, our most recent episode. I believe that was 63. And Stephen Downs and the murder of Sophie Sergi in Alaska, most, and most of this, this update's a little bit longer. Most of it comes from an article by Christopher Williams in the Lewiston, Maine, Sun-Journal. Most of what you read in other papers, including Alaska ones, is an Associated Press version of the same story. But Androscoggin County Superior Court Judge Robert Clifford denied bail on March 20th for Stephen Downs, he's 44 and charged with raping and killing Sophie Sergi in Fairbanks, Alaska in 1993. Underline it all, which isn't reported in the article, blah, blah, blah. I know I'm going there all the time, and I'll be going there again later today, too. But it's not reported well, but it's taking forever, apparently, for Alaska to get its extradition documents to Maine. Maybe they're sending them by donkey or something. (laughs) I don't know. There's a video with the article I read in the Lewiston Sun of Stephen Downs lawyer outside the court, which I'll also link on our website. And there's a lot of good information in it. It's about 10 minutes long. And the lawyer brings up a lot of good points. It's possible there's an article somewhere about this video. But I can't find one. And me be me, I'll just add this. I think it's great we can use video and other social media to enhance news stories, but that doesn't mean the same obvious guidelines for informing readers don't apply. You have to open the video up on Facebook to even see when it was filmed, March 20th. Most people won't do that if they're seeing it with the story link like I did. You have to assume it's by the reporter who wrote the story. There's no introduction, at least on the website, to what it says or when it was filmed. And I don't think people should assume everyone's going to go to the Facebook page or assume it was taken that day or you need... I know. And also, if I were the reporter's editor, I would have said, damn it, boy, we need at least some of this And the damn article. Damn it, boy. Um, Sorry. Because Stephen Downs' attorney talks about how he was arrested a month ago, and it's more than a month now that we're recording this. It was February yeah. 19th, 14th he was arrested. They haven't gotten any information. All he knows is what he's read in the paper. Yeah. I see. They want to fight extradition. They can't until they get the documents. Yeah. So it's an issue. If you read the article, there's really little clue as to what's going on with the extradition. In the article, Downs, quote, adamantly denies any involvement in this heinous crime, his attorney, James Howeniek, said. How Howiniak said Downs was with his girlfriend the night Sophie Sergi was killed and not in the vicinity of the crime scene. He has no criminal history to speak of and no evidence whatsoever of any sort of history of violence, which we know you don't need to kill someone. But that's neither here nor there. The Lewiston Son story says, The lawyer painted a portrait of his clients as a pet-loving and caring nurse he was a registered nurse, a male nurse, yeah, <laughs> who has always been mild-mannered. His parents, both hmm. teachers, live locally. Assistant District Attorney Patricia Reynolds Reagan argued Downs was not entitled to bail and that the judge should use his discretion to hold Downs until his return to Alaska. She said normal bail laws did not apply because Downs was being held on a warrant from out of state as a fugitive from justice, and that Downs' guilt or innocence should not play a role in the judge's bail decision.
0: It's not fair to hold somebody without them even knowing what the hell's going on. Right, I agree with that. Whether he's guilty or innocent will be proven.
1: Police in Alaska said DNA evidence from a genealogical database helped link him to the crime. The lawyer also has more questions about that. They haven't been told much about that. The judge, Robert Clifford, said he denied bail because the underlying charges against Downs are so serious. Clifford said, however, it was unusual for Downs to be jailed for more than 30 days pending extradition. And this is where I think the article kind of falls down at not putting any of that stuff the attorney explained about the fact that it's taking so long. The judge said the lieutenant governor of Alaska has issued an extradition warrant, but it has not yet arrived at the court. I'm not sure how it gets there, but you'd think in 2019 there will be Sometimes a way. Sometimes
0: they need physical ones, but you can FedEx something, right? right. Or it's overnight like, well, it, fine. or I don't
1: know what the issue Maybe is. Maybe Matt can it... help us if he arrives. Yeah, when to we spend. right
0: when it arrives, Clifford
1: said Downs could revive his petition challenging the warrant. In other words, fight extradition. Mm-hmm. Again, this is where the article could explain could have some of yeah. the stuff the lawyer outside the courtroom said on the video. But the facts of Alaska's criminal case against Downs will not be considered in the main court. In other words, the judge isn't considering the evidence. He's just just considering whether he should be held pending extradition. And I'm going to link that 10-minute video to our website. I just want to say for people who would argue, I'm picturing myself back in a newsroom.
0: I just want to say.
1: Right. For people who would argue Well, you don't need to say it in the article, because the video's there. That's bullshit. There's an issue with the extradition it should be more explicitly outlined in the article because everybody isn't going to sit through a 10-minute unedited video watching a lawyer talk. I know. And that is the newspaper editor and me talking, just begging for clarity and informative articles, especially since apparently newspapers all over the country, including in Alaska, are relying on the reporting of the Lewiston Sun Journal.
0: Help them out. And you have an update. Too. I do. I It was the same episode as Luke Tiemann, so that was, what did we episode say? Episode seven. 7. They were both in 2016 that they killed their wife allegedly. Well, Luke has been convicted, so
1: we don't have to say allegedly. Noah's still Noah's winding still. his way through the justice. Yeah, system. so
0: what happened with Noah, if you
1: remember? Well, Ma- also Noah isn't denying he shot his wife. No. That's he's true. denying, so it's not a, that alleged that he shot his wife, it's alleged whether he mistook her yes. for an intruder or he knew it was his wife he was shot.
0: And he's the one, as Mo just alluded to, that she was on the stairs and he thought she was an intruder and shot her in the stomach. And the My last update was about how the judge called a mistrial because the medical examiner, the state medical examiner, changed his mind about uh, the trajectory of the bullet before the trial started and threw everything into an uproar. Uh, And he's Dr. Mark Flomenbaum. He took over, I think, in 2016 for Margaret Greenwald, I think was the uh, former medical examiner and he i think he was deputy medical examiner before he took over so he's been here for a while he has a side business where he he's a kind of a professional like an An expert expert witness witness, right a lot of them are that so yeah a lot of them are but apparently people are questioning his judgment apparently because he's an expert witness even though that janet mills who's now governor was attorney general of the state at the time the attorney general of connecticut where Flomenbaum had been, he had been a medical examiner there, and he had either left or been fired, but his office came under a lot of scrutiny, not because of his skill or any findings of But just because the office was run very poorly. Mm -hmm. So when Janet Mills was attorney general, they sent her a letter saying, you know, this is what happened while he was just so you know. I don't know why they did that, but just so you know, if you're hiring him. She said she doesn't remember getting the letter. Now she's governor. People are giving her shit about it. And who knows? She probably didn't even see it herself. So that was one of the things that's just kind of like and the trial is still on hold. And the other one just came the other day, uh, the other update on this case. He amended his autopsy report, but the attorney general's office won't release it to his his attorney, Noah Gaston's attorney. Uh, So Superior Court Justice Michaela Murphy, who's the judge in that trial too, right? She gave Flomenbaum, Dr. Flomenbaum, 30 days to explain himself. And he had filed a report last week. The attorneys have copies of the amended report, but the even though the first autopsy report is public record, the Attorney General will not release this new report to the public. When they ask the attorneys about it, uh, the defense attorney and prosecutor, they're like, well, it'll come out in court. So the press wants to know what's this new report. Right. The trial is still on hold, and the, nobody knows what this new report says yet. Now I think we're
1: we're at our main feature.
0: Yes, we are.
1: I'm very excited. And this is kind of a part 2 to
0: our last episode. Yes. You don't necessarily have to listen to our last no, episode, you don't. but um you might. My last episode was about Christian Brando and um, Dag Drollot and Christian Brando's Marlon Brando's son. So, we left off last time with me telling you about how Christian Brando got out of prison in 1996. Well, while he was in prison, he started a pen pal relationship with a woman named Bonnie Lee Backley. Oh, that's sweet. When he got out, they started a real relationship. Ooh! It was difficult for me to find out exactly what type of relationship. It was sexual, of course, but was it boyfriend, girlfriend, or casual thing? I couldn't find out. Her relationship with Christian was during the time when a lot of stuff wasn't put online yet. It was the mid to late 90s. How old were they both? I'm getting to that. As I said in the last episode, uh, my sources are, I got tons of different sources, but most of them are New York Times, ABC News, LA Times, CNN, NBC News, and Wikipedia and YouTube. Bonnie Lee Backley was about 40 when she met Christian Brando in person for the first time, but she had lived a long life in those 40 years. She had been married at least nine times, had been arrested a few times, had three children by two other men, and had spent time in jail. Wow. Everyone who knew her knew she had one wish, to be married to someone famous.
1: (laughs) It's great to have aspirations. She started
0: out wanting to be famous herself, but decided it would be easier to just hitch her wagon to a famous man. She finally achieved her goal, but it only lasted six months, and I think she found out it wasn't really worth it. Bonnie Lee was born in Morristown, New Jersey, on June 7, 1956. Her mother ran an antique store in Wharton, New Jersey, and her father was an arborist. Or tree surgery. (laughs) Her grandmother raised her in Glen Gardner, New Jersey. One thing I read said rural New Jersey. I don't know anything about New Jersey. There's a lot of rural parts
1: of That's another one of my peeves. It's like,
0: who gives a shit? Like, whenever... If they live on a farm, say it's rural. If they live in a town, it's not... Well, also,
1: rural is is a subjective term, and it's constantly used to refer to places in Maine when 90% 90 of Maine is like that. Anyways.
0: I wasn't able to find out exactly why she didn't live with her parents, although some sources said her parents were both alcoholics and they did not live together. But her grandmother also drank all the time, too, Mm. so... And she lived there with her siblings. Uh, she had at least, I think she had a sister, a brother, and a half-brother. She might have had other siblings. She said her and her siblings were made fun of in school because they were poor and didn't dress well. And a quote from a taped phone conversation that aired on TV shortly after her death. Spoiler alert. <laughs> she said, Wait, she dies? <laughs> yeah. She said, quote, I was the kid that everybody hated in school because I was poor and couldn't dress good. Everybody always made fun of me because I was a real loner type. So you grew up saying, I'll fix them, I'll show them, I'll be a movie star. And it was too hard because I was always falling for somebody. And I figured, why not fall for a movie star instead of becoming one? <laughs> there you go. I'm but- not sh- and I'm not sure when this tape was made. Or with whom she was talking, but among her belongings when she died were tapes with the names of various people on them, including her first husband, who she married quite young, and she taped like many of her phone conversations. Oh, wait, and what is it with her these? sister? I know her sister was interviewed by uh, by ABC News and said, "I don't know. She started doing it around the time she was a teenager. She thought she could use it someday. Mm. Mm.
1: So maybe she was going to write her memoirs once she became famous. I think and she want. Yeah. I we'll just want to say too, that. for all the issues going to Catholic school. I don't remember a lot of kids being made fun of because they were poor. Where we lived there were poor people and rich people both in Ohio and Maine. But I think part of it is since you had to wear a uniform. Yeah.
0: Although you could tell the rich from the poor. Right.
1: They their uniforms were peppier and um
0: Stuff, but I don't remember. I don't think it had to do with how they were dressed. I think they probably were made fun of because of their life. Right. You know, how kids find out stuff about you, like, oh, you don't live with your parents. Oh, your grandma's a drunk. Or Uh, the way
1: kids behave. Yeah. I don't ever remember people knowing much about other kids' parents' living situations or alcoholism, but I think kids were made fun of. Because of the way they acted. I'm not saying that's right, obviously. I'm not saying she wasn't made fun of because she was poor or anything. I'm just saying maybe she was a little out there because you're not like a normal kid and then become this out there crazy adult.
0: Well, we'll see. We'll talk about her. She is out there. Some reports of her childhood said she was sexually abused by her father or other relatives, although I didn't see anything to substantiate them. Actor Robert Blake her last husband, more about him later, mm-hmm. told Barbara Walters in 2003, I think that Bonnie, at a very, very early age as a child, became a lost soul. And she told me that. When she was 10 years old, she was already doing stuff with men. It's like uh, otherwise known as being abused, yes. Robert Blake. Yes, sexually molested, she wasn't doing Robert stuff. Robert they were. Blake. Yeah. When she was 15 or 16, she dropped out of high school and went to New York City, to the Barbizon School of Modeling, remember those yeah, ads? Yeah, I remember those. From what I remember of Barbizon School, anyone could go. It necessarily right. mean you were going to be a model. No,
1: it was a place you paid money to go to school to learn to be a model. Whether you were, whether you, you were, were gonna going to be one or not. Yeah. Bobby
0: was attractive, but not anything striking. And her professional photos, the ones you see a lot online, she looks pretty. In some of the candid photos, like one of her and her last husband, Robert Blake, she looks uh, like a regular woman, sort of dumpy, although like, <laughs> I shouldn't be judging. <laughs> but then I realized that photograph was taken after she had given birth, so, uh, you know. And also, dumpy in Hollywood is... Yeah, but she was my yeah. my standards, not Hollywood standards. Mm. Put it this way, she looked about the same as me. Wow. Uh, definitely not the glamour younger wife of a Hollywood actor you usually would think of. While in New York, not long after she arrived, she was about 15 or 16, like I said, she met Polakis Evangelos, who was a Greek immigrant. They met at one of her modeling gigs, <laughs> which some reports said were sex parties where she was paid a paid guest, which makes sense because of what we learn about her later. So they met in Union City, New Jersey. Polakas needed to marry an American to get a green card and stay in the United States. Bonnie agreed to do it for money. I'd do that. They got married in 1971. She was 16 at the time. And then she took off with the money and he got deported I, anyway. I, I, when she was 21 in 1977, she married her first cousin, Paul Godron. Ooh, I know. Yeah. They had two children together. Glenn and Holly. In 2015, Holly Godwin had an interview with Barbara Walters. She told Barbara that Bonnie was everything to me. She was my best friend. She supported me in anything I wanted to do. I don't know if that was 2015 or 2019. Anyway. Could just 2019? 2019? Say- there was an interview, they had a story on 2020 about him in January. And Barbara Walters was... Oh, no, so it wasn't... No, sorry. Was it say might have been in 2003 she then. like 100 now? Yeah, but it might have been in 2000... Whenever. Whenever. I so, think it sometimes. was 2015, so okay, whatever. Okay, whenever. Then Holly went on to say that Bonnie, quote, did do things that most people wouldn't approve of, but it wasn't all she did. She was a shrewd businesswoman. She ran the business. She sold pictures of naked women, a little bit of pornography, and she'd spend time on the phone asking for plane tickets or just whatever she wanted. I thought she was great. I love her. (laughs) Yes, while Bonnie was married to her cousin, she made money by scamming men. She led them on had mail and or phone relationships with them. Had mail and or phone relationships? M- had mail like postal. She led oh. them on, had like pen pal right. and or phone conversations with them. Ah. got them to give her money and gifts. She basically catfished them before there was a name for it. But <laughs> it, it wasn't so she was common I mean edge. people did no. it even in the eighteen hundreds people did it. The internet just just made it easier. Right. <clears throat> Bonnie did pretty well for herself with the US postal service and the telephone though. Good for Bonnie. Back in the old days before the internet, there were what they called swinger magazines. They might still oh, be I've around. Those, I don't yeah. know if they are. I don't know when they first came about, I'm thinking maybe forties or fifties. They were sold wherever porn mags were sold, which we worked at a place that sold lots of porn mags. Yeah. They were like classified ad magazines for people to hook up. People would have ads with nude pictures of themselves and list what they liked and what they wanted to do sexually. Right. And have a P.O. box
1: just like online dating yeah. before the internet it yeah. was ads classified yeah, ads except
0: they were more sexual but there's pro- i'm sure there were sexual sites i haven't finance. looked sure. yeah. but i'm sure there are websites bonnie would have explicit photos of herself with false names and say she was a trisexual she'd try anything <laughs> A lot of the articles I've read about her make a big deal about this and imply she was some kind of sexual deviant. But the fact is, she often never met the people who answered these ads, so she didn't do anything with them sexually. Right, she was scamming. She she just sent photos and got money from them. One thing she would do is arrange to meet these men and have them send her money for travel Uh, expenses. Also, can
1: I just say, not that I'm saying I endorse that kind of lifestyle, but to be a deviant... You have to be, I mean, it means you deviate from. I know. And there are a lot, a lot, a lot of people that do that shit, even now with the Internet. I know.
0: People do it all the time.
1: But um, more Um, than I think anyone who is calling her a deviant would like to.
0: Well, she she mostly sent photos and got money from them. One thing she would do was arrange to meet these men, have them send her money for travel expenses. Most times she pocketed the money and didn't go. Sometimes she did go, and she definitely was not above sex for money. But it's impossible to know what was her bragging and what is the author's exaggerating? And almost everything I read about her paints her as this horrible tawdry person. Granted she was a scam artist, but I feel like when it's a male con artist who sleeps around the tone of writing is totally different. Definitely. You you don't know like if you're if you're judging what she actually did by her ads, she's going to exaggerate what she's doing for the... Right. She's, she's you know... She's conning people. And if she's bragging to people, it's, a, yeah, she's a con. So I read an excerpt from a trashy book about her. Uh, not that I read the book, but I can discern by what I read that it's trashy. <laughs> okay. I don't mind. I'm, hey... The book is titled Murder in Hollywood. Oh, I like it. And the part I read, he claims that Bonnie had an insatiable sexual appetite and she bragged about all her sex toys and sex stuff that she liked to do. And maybe she did like sex, but it seems to me that she used it as a means to an end. She grew up very poor and was most likely sexually abused. She learned what she had to do to get along or what she thought she had. The reason many women,
1: particularly those who are brought up poor, not the ones who are being trafficked, But ones who get into the sex trade do it because there's a market for it. It's not because they're insatiable sexually, but it's a way to make money off of people who are going to pay for shit. Not only are they going to pay for shit, but they're not necessarily going to come after you if you don't deliver because they don't want themselves exposed. And, you know, like maybe a certain owner of the New England Patriots recently, you know. And a lot of times
0: when someone male and female comes up in that that kind of family or that kind of environment they learn what they have to do to survive i'm not giving her an excuse and i'm not saying everyone that grows up that way becomes a con artist but you meet a lot of people that have been like i used to volunteer at, at the youth correction center and they've learned to manipulate people they the only way they can they can survive we
1: could do episode after episode on what it's like to be poor and how limited your choices are or you think they are sometimes. I mean and they can be limiting even if you're employed and poor or something and how resentful people can become of people with money. Yeah. And it's probably pretty easy to convince yourself if I can con people out of their money, there are so few options for me and I'm kicked around so
0: much because I'm poor. Why the hell not? Yeah why not? So she talked about all the sexual shit because it was good for business. At least that's my take on it. I'm sure Gary C. King, the author of the book, liked to think that she was some sex fiend. I bet he could satisfy her desires as he put it. <laughs> Like, she's like this nympho yeah. So, yes, she was a con artist and sometimes sex worker who would do whatever she had to in order to pay her bills or reach her goals. I don't know if she loved sex as much as she loved what she thought money and fame could do for her. Yep. Bonnie's sister Marjorie told ABC News... Quote, a lot of other people in her life liked being around her. It wasn't just her out grubbing and trying to hurt them. She wanted to be part of their lives, and they wanted her to be part of their lives. She was a good person. She was just very business oriented. She supported herself and her husband, Paul, who was in and out of work and was a violent person, according to family and other sources, and their two kids with this work. But in 1982, after five years of marriage, she decided it was time to move on. Paul wasn't a movie star, and her life wasn't going to change. Living with him mm-hmm. in New Jersey, I think that's where they were in New Jersey. I, but she and her cousin maintained a relationship throughout her life. He said that he could never have made the kind of money she made. What he made in a week, she could make just by opening. No, an envelope. nobody's going to pay a guy that. Well, much he was a laborer. Sex. He said, "I was a laborer. She, I'd make one fifty oh. a week." She. Oh, I thought he meant like, <laughs> like she'd a, open an envelope and right. have a check for one hundred and fifty in it. After her death, Godin said. When someone dies, usually you start thinking, she wasn't really a bad person, but the truth is, Bonnie really was. <laughs> I read a cu- in a couple of places that Bonnie was not loyal to Paul, which is not surprising, and he said that he wasn't sure if their children were his biological kids. Mm-hmm. At the same time, one of Bonnie's relatives is quoted in entertainment. Well, he was
1: kind of prostituting himself then, too,
0: wasn't he, with yeah. her? You yeah. know, because she was making good money. Yeah. You know? Uh, he Yeah, he worked on and off. Um, I think he drank, too. So one of bon- Bonnie's relatives is quoted in Entertainment Weekly that Paul often beat Bonnie and once broke her nose, and that he was a loudmouth who didn't know how to act in public.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So anyway, Bonnie took off for Memphis. She set her sights on rock legend jerry lee lewis not uh, to be, the killer not to be confused with jerry lewis right jerry lee if you don't know was a huge star in the 1950s his big hits were a whole lot of shaking going on and great balls of fire mm-hmm. a talented musician and a shitty person mm-hmm. he like bonnie had also been married to his first cousin Mm-hmm. who was 13 when they got married. Right. His nickname is The Killer, as you said, which came about before... He two, killed someone. Two of his five uh, or six wives died mysterious at least two or, you know, right. mysterious deaths. And he was also a, an abusive husband, yes. reportedly. Or he is, he's still but alive.
1: he's, yeah, another one of those
0: people who, even though people know all that
1: shit about him, he pretty much gets passed. Yeah, he We does. could do a whole episode on oh, him, Jesus.
0: too. Jesus. Bonnie funny. Lee started following Jerry Lee on tour. She used her scam money to finance traveling around the country following him. She had left her two children with her cousin-husband. Her (laughs) cousin-husband. Before she started stalking Jerry Lee Lewis, or maybe while she was doing it, she racked up at least two more marriages. Wow. Just an aside, many of her marriages were not real marriages in that she did not stick around for a relationship. She would get what money she could before moving on. She married Demart Besley in 1988. He was a retired sheriff who lived in Darby, Montana. He had been corresponding with three different women. He met by writing to them after seeing their ads in Swinger magazines. Okay, never mind. It turned out all of them were Bonnie. (laughs) (laughs) He had a type, I guess. I got it. Well, she didn't always use her own photographs. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I have to kind of admire her. She was a hardworking woman. She
0: did her, yes. And her brand was really working for her. It worked. She came to meet him. And did not look as glamorous as she had in her ads. But Tough. he thought that was good because it meant maybe he had a chance. <laughs> he was in his late 70s at the time. Oh. And she was, in 1988, she was in her early 30s. Score. According to Besley, who wrote a memoir about his short-lived marriage, she had old shabby clothes and a battered suitcase when she showed up at the bus station. And his memoir, which is 400 pages long, hmm. is called Ubiquitous Body, Mistress of Sham, with an exclamation point. Is it self-published? He didn't publish it in his lifetime. He died in December 2000, which is only, you know, six months before she died, spoiler alert, at the age of 93, and mm-hmm. his family found it, and it mm-hmm. wrote, he had written on the front of it something like, save this, you might need it. And oh. they did after her death. Oh wow. Used in court. And I think it, parts of it were published. Good for him for thinking ahead. Yeah, well, you know, how many times does stuff like that happen and the person wasn't murdered, so you don't know. Yeah, that's true. Despite the origins of the relationship, she told him she didn't want to have sex before marriage. So they flew to Reno and got married. They went to a casino to celebrate, and she excused herself to go to the bathroom. <laughs> he never saw her again. Yeah. So I don't think he even got to consummate his I mouth. saw that. Con- but later, she broke into his home, stealing his TV stuff of his late wife's, including jewelry, and his gun. When he got his next property tax bill, he saw her name was on the deed <laughs> along with his. Wow. It turned out she had forged his signature and had a new boyfriend, who was a notary and a car salesman, wow. notifi- notarize it. She, Let's, just imagine she if had she had used balls.
1: that I if know. she had used
0: her talents for good. Luckily, of he wasn't an idiot and straightened things out.
1: And not to victim blame, but, you know, if you want a girlfriend or wife, Go to some church socials no shit, or some bean suppers or volunteer at the senior center. It's like the people
0: don't, that meet someone online. Don't it, start
1: corresponding with a bunch of women
0: on uh, Swingers Swinger magazine, magazine and think you're going to get the girl of your dreams, no fellas. Shit. After her notorious death, his family made some money by selling excerpts from the manuscript, but like I said, it was used as evidence at the trial. I read some excerpts of his... Is like it is, poorly written? Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. I have to say, well, she did rip him off in a big way. He makes it sound like he's super innocent, but like you just well, said, you don't from look for long-term relationship. But, it's like working uh, on Tinder for a wife. I mean, right. come on. Guys. One of her husbands, Joseph Brookshire, who she married in 1992, spent time in jail because of bad checks she wrote in his name. They had met through a singles ad six months before the wedding, and she took off on the wedding night taking the checkbook, I think, with her, probably. Mm -hmm. She married William Weber in Florida in 1993. He was married to him for two days and went to the bank and stole $350,000 from him before the bank froze his account. Wow. She married E. Robert Tullifson in Memphis in 1994. He was 83, and the marriage lasted six months. So... I think my feeling about it is she probably he married probably him. couldn't get it up. Well, I didn't think they were together for six months. Oh. I think it probably took him six months to end, to get, oh, okay. end the marriage. She also married Glenn Wolfe in 1995 and John Ray in 1998, but I didn't find out much about that. So how many marriages is that? She's had at least nine before she married, Whoa. spoiler alert, Robert Blake. Bonnie never had any money, despite her many marriages, though there are like I said, ten known, including Robert Bake. There are believed to be dozens more than that. I mean she just She was went just on. in love with love. She just was in love. Even though she was married and stole money from them and scammed money all the time, she also spent a lot of money on her loved ones apparently. Like we talked about a lot of con con artists who spend money to give people the illusion that they have it. Yes. It- She also spent a lot of money on travel, as I mentioned before, chasing Jerry Lee Lewis around the country. (laughs) She would do anything to get close to him. According to Entertainment Weekly, she bribed a travel agent to find out his flight information and booked a first-class seat on a plane next to him. Wow. J.W. Witten, Jerry Lee's tour manager, told ABC News, quote, Bonnie Lee was very determined. She had her way of working her way in. She was just everywhere. He told Entertainment Weekly she was all over us. She would always stay in the same hotels we were in. She popped up at one of his birthday parties. Once she offered me money to tell her where he was. She actually thought she had a shot at being his girlfriend. I think she was more uh, classic stalker. She's she's delusional. We'll, yeah. see, we'll see as we go on. Yeah. In 1993, Bonnie had a baby girl who she named Jerry Lee Back, <laughs> Jerry Lee Backley. <laughs>
1: I shouldn't laugh. <laughs> she
0: claimed the baby was fathered by Jerry Lee Lewis. Mm, okay. She went to the tabloids with the story. DNA testing proved that she was not telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And I will talk more about Jerry Lee. Damn Le- that, DNA. I'll talk more about Jerry Lee Lewis later. And I totally forgot about the Jerry Lee Lewis like wow. until I started researching this. One more thing about Jerry Lee Lewis for now, though. And it's something that when I read it illustrated to me that Bonnie Lee had more issues than just trying to calm people. I think she was actually delusional. She had Christmas cards made with a photo of her and Jerry Lee Lewis (laughs) printed and sent them to friends and relatives signed, Happy Holidays, Jerry Lee and Bonnie Lee.
1: But the problem is, I don't think there was probably anybody at the time saying that Bonnie Lee needs to get some help. Yeah. You know they were just saying, "Wow,
0: Bonnie Lee, she is she's one crazy don't kid messed up with her." She did seem to have met lewis she's there's pictures of them together, even though the tour manager saw her as an annoying hanger on Not be surprised if she'd had sex with Jerry Lee given the opportunity, and he with her." Knowing both of them, uh, he's been married like seven times. I yeah. Think. Otherwise, I don't think she would have made such a brazen claim. J. W. Witten, the tour manager, said in a recent interview. Oh, well, I think it might have been in 2003. But Barbara Walters did an interview in 2003, and 2020 did a, a show about Robert Blake, and he hadn't gone on trial yet at that point. And then spoiler they, alert. And on, on <laughs> in January they did a newer story and they had clips from that. Why interview. in January did they do I don't something? know. I don't know. Did somebody die? No? no so I don't think if I don't think she would have made such a brazen claim if she hadn't actually slept with him. And her sister Marjorie said the same thing. She said she she must have been with him or she wouldn't have said she was pregnant. I don't think Jerry Lee was really discerning no. about no. who he, he had out. sex with. In any case, the whole baby thing cooled the relationship with Jerry Lee. After that, he was like, "You're not, no, get, a, get out of my life, woman." Mm-hmm. In 1995, Bonnie was arrested in Memphis for writing bad checks. She was sentenced to three years of probation with weekend stays at a penal farm. I you're <laughs> gonna laugh at that one. She was also arrested in Little Rock, Arkansas in 1998 for using false IDs to open post office boxes for her swinger scams. She not only made her living with her lonely heart scams and identity theft, but also with personal injury lawsuits and selling drugs. Wow! She was very resourceful. and She had a lawyer that she used all the time for personal injury. Saul
1: couldn't. <laughs> Saul
0: <Goodman. laughs> but also she was arrested with drug possession in the 90s too, but she wasn't in jail very long. And it's funny because whatever I was watching on it, ABC News. Um, they did have some audio of her phone conversations and they had a short audio of her talking about when she was arrested for the identity theft and she was like, oh, it wasn't that big a deal. I just needed him to open my P.O. boxes. <laughs> she, <laughs> I know. <laughs> she was just like, so by this time, Bonnie Lee had left baby Jerry Lee with her ex-husband Paul Godden and, and her other two kids. He was taking care of all three of them. Once Bonnie was done with her sentence sometime in 1998, she started looking toward Hollywood and a new object of affection because Cherry Lee was out now, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Rat Pack singer Dean Martin, who was age 78 at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, according to Dennis McDougal, who wrote the book Cold Blood about Bonnie, she may have been able to get him to succumb in his dotage, but he died too soon, because he (laughs) died shortly after. She did meet him, though. I saw a picture of her with him. He looks totally out of it, too. Yeah. He had the same hairdo. And, of course, she also had her pen pal, Christian Brando. According Mm, to Bonnie's sister, Marjorie Smith, what she did was she sent him nude photos to him, FedEx them while he was in jail, and then you can they get met FedEx in jail. I guess so, of nude photos. Well, he's Christian Brando. Yeah, and I think it was a min- minimum security. Yeah. So when he got out of jail, that was it. That's all it took. Wow. And she was. I saw some photos of her. So she was. She did have a good bod. She was. She was in shape. So no, she. I mean, she, she was forty when yeah. they met. Or forty two, maybe. I had a half decent pod when I was forty two. Not anymore. Yeah. And as I said, I don't know what the relationship was like, but obviously it involved sex.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But Bonnie wasn't going to tie herself down to one guy. She left. She kept her options mm, open. You, you got gotta, to. You got to. In fact, at the time of her death, her address book had the names and phone numbers and addresses of a lot of celebrities. Wow. Robert De Niro, Sugar Ray Leonard, Gary Busey. She, she's uh. lucky she didn't hook up with him. Mm. Chubby Checker, Frankie mm. Valli, Jimmy Swagger, who, by the way, is yeah. Carrie Lee Lewis's cousin. Uh, yeah. Red Fox, uh. Robert Redford, and Prince. I put that question right. Wow. She claimed to have had sexual relationships with all of them, but that is doubtful. She kept track of any male celebrity she could, and however she found out information, she wrote it down. She had hired private investigators in the past to find out stuff, and this Address book, a, a roster of possibilities for right. her. Right, you, you know, you find stuff out. You never right. know when you're going to need it. You gotta, you know, she did seek them out, and she had pictures with people. Right, but that doesn't mean anything. In late 1999, she met actor Robert Blake at a jazz club. That's the story most places report and Bonnie's sister Marjorie tells. But according to Robert Blake's trial attorney, one of the trial attorneys, they had had sex in the back of his truck, never in his home, and he didn't even know her name. When Barbara Walters asked him about her, he said he did meet her in a jazz club. She approached him. She was pretty. And I saw a picture of the night that they met. She probably got people to take pictures of. She did look, she had longer hair and she she looked pretty. And he said, you know, I, I was alone. I wasn't married. I used to sometimes I'd hook up with people. He said they met and um, had a, a fling. He didn't, you know, mm-hmm. there wasn't a relationship. But they didn't just run into each other. As with many of her marks, mm-hmm. Bonnie had done a property check on Robert Blake to find out where he lived. And she found out where he was known to hang out. And there are some reports that Bonnie Lee was taking fertility drugs in order to trap...
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Christian Brando or Robert Blake, into marriage with a pregnancy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if a guy doesn't want to get someone pregnant, he can either keep it in his pants or wear That's a condom. right. That's right. I have no sympathy. Me neither. There are also reports she was keeping track of her uh, ovulation cycle. For her. Yeah. Shortly after her relationship with Robert Blake began, Bonnie told him she was pregnant. In June of 2000, she gave birth to a little girl she named Christian Shannon Brando. She gave her his last name. See a pattern? But she she told told Robert she was pregnant? Yes, she told them both. Okay. She told Robert Blake she thought he might be the child's father, but after hearing that, he insisted on a paternity test. When she found out he was the baby's father, he married Bonnie, and she moved into his guest house. The baby's name was changed to Rose Lenore Sophia Blake. But my feeling is that Bonnie would have preferred to be married to Christian Brando, and then later, after I wrote this, I saw uh, something where her sister was talking, she said how, she'd rather be married to him. How old was Robert Blake at the time? He was, he was in was his, his f- late 60s. 60s. He's 85 now. Wow. But Christian Brando was in his 30s like her. But he didn't have the money. That Ro- Robert right. Blake had a lot of money. We'll get to yes. that, but he had money. But I think she would have preferred to be married to Christian Brando. Brando being from a different generation than Robert Blake was probably like, no, I'm not marrying you just because right. you're Pregnant, and she knew that Robert Blake probably would marry her. And it turned out the baby, if it turned out the baby was his, and she told him she was having doubts, but made him feel like a DNA test was his idea because that's what con artists do. Right. right. But also, uh, there's a really weird phone conversation that I watched it after I had written this. It, it's interesting to me because I've known a couple people that are kind of uh, not, um, sociopathic and they just have these really weird ways of, like, he's talking to her. And he says, you know, you told me you are on the, he's like, you, ha- you can't keep the baby, no, you can't keep this baby. And she's like, well, why can't I just, my mother can raise her. And he's like, what are you talking about? And, like, it's weird because, like, obviously her mother's not going to raise her because she, she doesn't even talk to her mother. But she's just, like, saying, I knew somebody that was like this that would just, you'd you're be, like, non-sequitur. When you, when you question them about something, they just throw out these, like, like to, to weird things. Right. And you're like, what? And he's like, no, what are you talking about? So right. anyway, because they're not. She's just fucked
1: up. Right, right. because, because they're, they're focused if they are what have whatever's going on with her. And, and part of this is, I, I, I just read, read this book, book called erased about uh, men who, a, a certain, certain type of man who start a new life, who kill her. Oh, yeah. whatever. But, but one the of the things, things is they're focused on their goals. goals. Yes. Yeah. So, so they're, they're not... Having a reasonable conversation, yeah. what they're doing is just throwing out yes, answers. That's what
0: she's doing. That exactly. mean as little to them as the thing yes. you're saying exactly. to them is. Yeah. So, by the way, the fact that in this day and age, and even back then in the late 1990s and early 2000s, that she thought she could just tell someone she was pregnant with his baby and she wouldn't have to prove it just shows how she's delusional. Bonnie had never given up on her scamming business, even while in LA and even after being married to Robert Blake. And Robert Blake didn't know about her business at first, but Christian mm. Brando did, mm. and that will come up later. Wow, well, right so things coming up Well, later. right now, let's <laughs> talk about Bonnie's last husband, Robert Blake, who, by the way, is still alive at 85 years old. Can I Can
1: I say, because I know you're going to say this, but I want to say it. His real name's Mickey Gubatosi. I'm going to fucking... I knew you were going to say that. Shh.
0: My generation and older know him as a child actor in the R-Gang Little Rascals short films of the 1930s and 40s and as an adult star of the TV show Beretta. Robert Blake was born Michael James Gubatozzi on September 18, 1933 in Nutley, New Jersey. Well, they're both New Jerseyites. I know. Well, they have a lot in common. What exit? Uh-huh. It's interesting. I wonder if they talked... They must have talked about their past, because they do actually have a lot in common that's interesting. And actually, him and Christian Brando kind of have stuff in common, It's too. interesting. His parents, James and Elizabeth, had a song and dance act on vaudeville. And in 1936, they put their three children... He had two older siblings, James, three years older, and Giovanna, who was called Joan, was one year older... They put the kids on stage in an act called the Three Little Hillbillies. In 1938, the family moved to Los Angeles where James Sr. hoped to put the kids to work as movie extras. Mickey, as he was then known, got his first real role in the movie Bridal Suite starring Robert and Annabella Young in 1939 as the character called Toto. Soon after that, he got cast in the series of short films, Our Gang, which also was known as The Little Rascals and Syndication, under his real name, Mickey Gubatosi. Times were not good for the family, who lived hand to mouth and lived in the car sometimes. Many years later, on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, where he was a frequent guest, he he was on 150 times in 15 years, he told of how he was sent out to steal milk off people's doorsteps after the milkman came in the early morning hours. His father was an alcoholic and often focused his resentment and rage on little Mickey, beating him and locking him in the closet, making him eat food off the floor like uh, a dog. Uh. And while Mickey Gubitosi found regular acting work, seems like he probably supported the family actually like a lot of kid actors. His father was often thrown off the set for acting like an asshole. Mm-hmm. And actually, he got, th- was it MGM? The, the, whatever movie studio Mickey at the time was with, his father, James, went in and got in a big fight with the studio head and got thrown off. Uh, this was th- after, thrown off the, after yeah. he left our gang. And th- that's why he didn't stay with that studio. But now I can't remember the name. Blake's mother Elizabeth was passive and did nothing to protect him although Uh I'm sure she was also a victim of abuse and Blake later told Barbara Walters the reason his father hated him so much is because he wasn't his biological father Mm. his father's brother Tony this is according to Robert Blake so I don't know right and when he's 85 saying this his mother was in love with Tony but she married James instead she kept up a relationship with tony and he says both his parents hated him because he was Aww. a reminder of that that so he was such a cute little boy yes the siblings were not successful like their younger brother but worked as extras on the set of our gang being a super cute kid and a good actor although his crying scenes on our game were, were criticized i had to watch <laughs> how some. can you criticize a kid i had to watch some to see they were bad i've seen worse Mickey got a lot of work, a lot of it in ethnic roles. Well, still on our gang, about 1942, he changed his name to Bobby Blake, and his character's name changed to Mickey Blake. Also in 1942, he got a role as Bobby Blake, you know, the name Bobby Blake, as Tukey Stedman in Andy Hardy's Double Life. In 1942, he played Mokey in the movie Mokey with Donna Reed. Hmm. He later said the first hug he ever got was from Donna Reed on the set. And the first time he felt loved, and that made me so sad. Yeah, I think I saw him say that on Johnny Carson. If you look at his filmography, I look IMDb. That kid must have worked constantly almost from the time his family arrived in California. Forty Our Gang episodes from 1939 to 1944, and in 1944, after Our Gang stopped production, and he was. Kicked out of MGM. Bobby Blake was quickly hired to play Little Beaver in the Red Rider series of Western films, starring with Wild Bill Elliott. He played a Native American boy, obviously, Little Beaver. Between 1944 and 1947, he starred in 23 full-length movies as Little Beaver. I mean, yeah. it's a lot of work. His filmography is way too long to go into, but another notable role is was in The Treasure of Sierra Madre in 1948, in which he plays a Mexican boy who gets a glass of water thrown in his face by Humphrey Bogart. Yeah. His character is a persistent lottery ticket seller who makes the sale even after Bogie splashes him in the face. Mm-hmm. Bogie says, give me 20 so I don't have to look at your ugly face. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that makes me laugh. At 16,
1: 1949,
0: he finally moved out, sick of being abused. He never spoke to his father, mother, or brother again.
1: Um, I seem to remember him saying on Johnny Carson that he got very little or no money from his child roles. It was all
0: gone, his parents. He blamed James Jr. for... Never taking his side. Remember, he was three years older. Mm -hmm. So he could have, when they got older, he could have. And I suppose he blamed his mother, too. His father committed suicide in 1956. He had small roles in his late teens, but that's a tough time for actors who have been child actors. If you look at his filmography at the time, there was only a few roles a year, and they were uncredited, a lot of them. He was, yeah, he was kind of funny looking when he got older. He graduated from Hamilton High School in 1950 and was drafted into the Army where he was stationed in Alaska. He met and fell in love with a 16 year old girl and remember he was 18. He wasn't like he was in his 20s. And her parents accused him of statutory rape. The girl's parents and the army worked out a deal. He was sent back to California and given an honorable discharge. Back in California, he started taking Acting classes with blacklisted actor Jeff Corey. So Jeff Corey had been blacklisted, but he still he got a, a lot of small TV and movie roles. So so in the fifties, this was the beginning of of the TV era, and there were lots of shows where um, episodic like dramas and stuff. A lot of it you'll see a lot of actors in those that you know because they always had guest stars and stuff. Right. They weren't like a a sitcom with the same five characters all the time. So. Right. And so he had pretty steady work in his early 20s. And then in 1956, the film Rumble in the Docks is mm. when he first used the name Robert Blake instead of Bobby Blake. Mm. Wow. Yeah, he had pretty steady work from then on. He played either um, tough guys or, like, guys that are kind of troubled and stuff like mm-hmm. that. In 1959, he turned down the role of Little Joe in Bonanza, TV mm-hmm. show. But that ended up being a good move for him. That role was played by Michael Landon, who, like Robert Blake, became a frequent guest on The Tonight Show. Yeah, he all was. He was, was on all the, time. All the time, yeah. In 1961, he married fellow actor Sandra, Sandra sorry, Sandra Carr, who was in the movie Helter Skelter. I looked up, she didn't play anyone whose name I recognized. No. Robert Blake credited Sandra from helping him kick his drug and alcohol addictions. They had a son born in 1965, Noah Blake, who's also an actor. I looked him up, he looked familiar, but not anything. In 1966, they had a daughter named Delina. His breakout role as a a dramatic adult actor came in 1967 when he played murderer Perry Smith in the film adaptation of of The Truman Capote, written by Harper Lee, (laughs) (laughs) in Cold Blood. <laughs> he later said he suffered from depression after playing the role and had to seek psychiatric help to play the complex character Smith, who murdered an entire family. He had to delve into his own tumultuous childhood, and I'm sure it was difficult. Yes, but also he already had issues. That job yeah. probably just brought, brought, him, brought up. him up to the surface, which is probably, and he's he kind of a method
1: method actor, yeah. so you get into the role. And mm-hmm. um...
0: 19 late 60s, whenever it was casting, he turned down the role of Ratso Rizzo in Midnight mm-hmm. Cowboy that was played by Dustin Hoffman. Well, and that I can't picture anyone but Dustin Hoffman. I can't, but I can kind of picture Robert Blake would have done it differently, but he uh, yeah. would have done it. He played a Native American again in 1969 and tell them Willie Boy is here with Robert Redford. He was like on the run and Robert Redford was chasing him or something. The role was considered by many some of his finest work as an actor and I don't think mm-hmm. I've ever seen it. I think it was a made for, did I say it was made for, in 1975 he starred in Beretta. Oh yeah. Playing NYPD, which is New York Police Department for those of you who know, undercover detective Tony Beretta and I did not miss an episode yes we loved it who I had did. a pet cockatoo Fred yeah. and he said um one of his interviews I saw I think it was the one from 2003 that there was like five birds they all did different things but the main bird was named Lulu and he said that bird was like a genius bird and it's funny because the clip they showed, he said that bird knew everything to do for the camera and the clip they showed the bird is like making this weird face it's like The show ran until 1978, so it was 82 episodes, and made him a lot of money. He later told ABC News that he wrote Beretta, because he used to change, he didn't write it But he would change the writing, and he would play it as his ideal self. Quote, it was a lot of things that I wanted to be, but people thought it was me, and they expected to find that when they met me, and it just wasn't true. He was a tough cop with a heart. I just said that. Did you? No, I'm about to say, Beretta was the tough guy, rogue (laughs) cop, but he had a soft spot for the underdog. Right. Blake said he was a perfectionist, and the show got too difficult for him, so after three years, he ended it. But he did make money, and... He invested it, apparently. In 1983, he played Jimmy Hoffa in a made-for-TV movie, Blood Feud, and looks like he got plastic surgery. What kind of plastic surgery? Looks like he got a facelift. If you look at... And I remember around that time thinking, he He was kind of jowly.
1: Like, in Beretta, he started getting kind of jowly.
0: Well, he used to... He drank and... A lot. He and Sandra divorced that year, but she still goes by the name Sandra Blake. She's in a lot. She, I looked her up. On I've I seen her in stuff. She's in stuff. In 1985, his sister Joan died, which Blake said made him spiral back into depression and drug use. Mm-hmm. He said she was the only person he felt close to. Also that year, he produced and starred in the TV series Helltown, in which he played a tough but loving priest in the slums of Los Angeles. He was using a lot of drugs at the time and says he came close to suicide, which led him to ending the show after only 16 episodes. He said later it was the lowest and worst time of his life. Which is interesting considering what his life's been like. For the next seven years, he struggled with substance abuse and sought more psychiatric help for depression. He told ABC News he had a nervous breakdown on air and walked off the set. He said in this interview, quote, bipolar? I was tripolar. I was quadpolar. Who knows what kind of polar I was? I was nuts when I was away from the camera. In 1993, he played John List, the guy from New Jersey who killed his whole family and left them in a mansion. Oh, yeah. And right. took off to start a new life. Mm-hmm. Judgment Day was a TV movie. And he said he wanted the part so bad he would have done it for free. Wow. You know, he needed to, you know, come back. In 1995, he won a Lifetime Achievement but Award. But I think it's interesting
1: that it, as an adult, his, like, first. Mental spiral was caused by
0: playing somebody who killed an entire family. Yes. But and he wants. He won- par- I know. I said. I, I, that's what I said. I said you want another part that's going to make you. He won a lifetime achievement award from the Young Artist Foundation for his work on Our Gang Little Rascals. Mm. The last acting credit I see for him, and I believe it still is, is from 1997, David Lynch's movie Lost Highway, which I didn't see because I'm not a David Lynch fan. Me either. He played Mystery Man. Oh, uh, And yeah. he has, like, weird makeup and his hair slicked
1: back. And I think that says everything about why I don't like David Lynch stuff because I feel like there's this quirky stuff that's just there for the sake of being quirky, and it's annoying to me. Yeah.
0: Since the 1980s, as his acting career wound down, he had done political work supporting Cesar Chavez and trying to eliminate nuclear power. He said he had money, so he didn't need to work. He just also, he said he relaxed, going to jazz clubs, etc. That's where, in 1999, mm-hmm. he has yes, happened to meet good old Bonnie Lee Backley. Yeah, they just ran into each other. And as I told you, they hooked up and she ended up pregnant. Robert Blake agreed to marry her, but he wasn't as dumb as she had hoped. Mm-hmm. Or she thought. Like many sociopaths, she underestimated his intelligence or the intelligence of people that they... Right, they always think they're the smartest person in the room. And the man had been around the block. She may have had a rough life, but so had he. He wasn't going to trust her as far as he could throw her. He hired a private investigator who found out all about her business, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. her swindles, her other marriages, her other children... The two of them, Robert and Bonnie, reached an agreement. In order for him to have joint custody of baby Rose, she wanted him to marry her. In order for Bonnie to be married to him, she had to sign a prenuptial agreement in which she agreed to, among other things, not conduct any of her business on his property, not do any of her business with the child present, not do any illicit drugs, and not have contact with any known felons. Wow. And it appears she totally ignored this prenup. Gee, well, what a surprise. <laughs> According to the New York Times... So she lived in his guest house. So yes, they she never lived in his yeah. house with him. According to the New York Times, Bonnie also rejected a prenup that wanted her to take his legal name, Gubatosi. She did not want that. She no, didn't she didn't want, want some to New She didn't want to be Jersey. Mrs. Michael Gubatosi. Right. She wanted to be Mrs. Robert Blake. Right. And she wanted everyone to know it. Bonnie sent a note to Larry Flint, publisher of Hustler magazine, <laughs> and he came up in our Madeline. He came up in Marie, our Madeline
1: Marie O'Hare. Which
0: said something like, Hi... I just married Robert Blake. We need to get together. <laughs> That's what Flint's assistant told Entertainment Weekly back in 2001. Oh, uh. Robert Blake and Bonnie Lee Bakley married on November fifteenth, 2000 at his home in Studio City. Although it doesn't appear they had a happy marriage or a real marriage in that they lived together in the same house and were in love, he did take her out to eat a few times at his favorite Italian restaurant, Vitello's, also in Studio City. Robert had eaten at this restaurant many times, sometimes as much as several times a week, for years. He even had a booth where he always sat. The evening of May 4, 2001, the couple had dinner at Vitello's. After dinner, they left the restaurant and went to Robert's car, which was parked on a side street. Robert said, oops, I've, I forgot my gun in the restaurant. <laughs> I hate when that happens. I forgot it at the table. I'm I always I, I do that all the time. I'm I always leaving my gun places. Well, you this. know, you take it out, you put it on the table uh, like you do. Yeah. He left Bonnie waiting in the car and went back to Vitello's to get his gun. When he returned to the car, he found that his wife had been shot twice in the head. Now remember, this was 2001. It's hard to imagine, but a lot of people didn't have cell phones at the time. I didn't Mm. have one until 2002, and it was like a track phone.
1: Yeah, I can't even remember when I got my first one, but it was much later than that. Even
0: though Robert Blake was a rich actor, he was also old. He was 66 at the time.
1: Well, that's not that old.
0: Yeah, but he probably still doesn't have a cell phone. Yeah, well, like you said, a lot of people didn't have them. Robert ran to the door of Sean Stanek, whose house was close to where the car was parked. Stanek told ABC News he was stunned to find actor Robert Blake... A famous actor uh, at the door asking for help. What time of night was this? It was probably I don't know. Like, would he or- like go back into the restaurant to get help or? Well, he was parked on a side street, oh, yeah. so he wasn't parked close to the restaurant. Oh, yeah, okay,
1: okay. And this
0: was the closest place. In any case, Stanek was the one who called 911, not Blake. And he said Robert was pacing around his house acting manic. It's so, like he thought they were both going to go to the car, but he went to the car because Robert brought him to the car, and then Robert took off. And, like, he's like, where is he? Like, yeah. I'm waiting for the cops without him. And, 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 so-
1: and you would assume that somebody who is totally innocent
0: would be like, oh, my God. You know, no, and he's also messed there. up. Yeah. In a 2018 interview, Sean Stanick told ABC News, quote, I open the car door. I sit next to her and pull her up. I tell her to squeeze my hand, but all she's doing is gurgling, and there's just massive amount of blood everywhere. It's probably about a minute or two minutes before he came back. When I saw Robert had a gun, I thought to myself, we're in deep shit. <laughs> this was a murder. This is your quintessential Hollywood murder noir story. This is it. It doesn't get bigger than that. Well, I could see it getting bigger. I know. Well, they could be bigger stars. Yeah, that's what I mean. Or more people. I remember at the time reading that Robert Blake was walking around, sitting on the curb and throwing up all over the place. Oh, I remember reading that. Yeah. Which at the time some people felt showed that he had nothing to do with it, that he was upset. But I think that you can still kill someone and be upset. You can. You can. Or if he hired it out, right? I I
1: didn't realize what it's a big mistake to try to make assumptions about guilt.
0: From somebody's emotional behavior immediately after a murder. So anyway, the gun that Robert Blake had in his hand was not the gun that killed Bonnie. The gun that killed her was found later in a dumpster. The murder weapon was an unusual vintage revolver, and police were never able to prove that Robert Blake ever had possession of it, nor did they ever have the evidence that he shot it. But police had their suspicions about Robert Blake, Almost one year later, in what was called the most extensive investigation at the time, which they say that they about say every, that about every and on April 18, 2002, he and his bodyguard were both arrested. Robert Blake for murder and Earl Caldwell for conspiracy in connection with the murder. On April 22, 2002, Robert Blake was charged with one count of murder with special circumstances which could bring a sentence of death, two counts of solicitation of murder, and one count of conspiracy to commit murder. He pled not guilty on all charges. Earl Caldwell was charged with one count of conspiracy to commit murder and pled not guilty. On April 25, prosecutors said they would not seek the death penalty against Robert Blake, but would try to get a sentence of life without parole. Robert paid Earl's million dollar bail and his subsequent legal fees. Blake was not given bail until almost a year later, March 13, 2003. And it was a million and a half dollars mm. he paid. So March 13, 2003 was when he got out. But Robert sat with Barbara Walters for an interview while still in jail. She asked him if, if he really was the tough guy he played on TV and in movies. He replied, the cops invented that person and shoved it down the press's throat and the press loved it. Mm. I'm a prisoner. I'm in a cement box in jail. It's, you know, 24-hour lockdown. It has its advantages, but the disadvantages are there's no human contact prosecutors charged Robert that took him that long like almost a year to charge him then he was in jail almost a year but they charged him when a former stuntman Ronald Duffy (laughs) Hambleton told police that Blake had tried to hire him to kill Bonnie then another former stuntman who was a friend of Duffy Hambleton's Gary McLarty told a similar tale and one of them I think it was Gary McLarty his claim to fame was he you know when animal house What's the name of the motorcycle guy? He drives up the steps on his motorcycle. That's what he he did that. Reportedly, police threatened to subpoena Hamilton to testify in front of a grand jury and arrest him on misdemeanor charges if he did not testify against Robert Blake. Of the prosecution's theory, Blake told ABC recently, I was worth $40 million. I would hire somebody to shoot my wife in a car while I was taking a pee or some bullshit thing like that. I've been in Hollywood all my life which I don't know what that has <laughs> yeah, to do with anything. But yeah. Maybe, he, maybe he what he's trying contest. to say is I know, I know who I can hire and I wouldn't hire these doofuses. Right. There was no physical evidence or eyewitness evidence against Robert Blake. As we know, the wheels of justice move slowly. After Blake got bail, like I said, $1.5 million on March 2003, He was on house arrest until his trial, which didn't start until the end of the following year, so December of 2004. During this time, his defense team worked hard to emphasize Bonnie Lee Bakley's checkered past and how many people might want her dead. Indeed, she left a very long list of broken hearts, angry people, and victims of her scams behind. One reason things slowed down was the massive amount of material the prosecution turned over to the defense team. 7,100 pages of material, plus all Bonnie's phone tapes were like over a hundred of tapes. Wow. Shortly after her death, Jerry Lee Lewis came out with a statement about Bonnie Lee, which read <laughs> in part, I want to make it clear that I have never fathered a child by Ms. Mrs. Robert Blake. She moved to Memphis in the hope that I would leave my devoted wife, Carrie, and our son, Jerry Lee Lewis III. third. <laughs> To marry her, merely a figment of her own imagination. Mrs. Blake then went on to cultivate friendships with my relatives and friends, hoping somehow this would help her cause. However, her stalking of my family as well as her threats to kill our son, landed her in a Memphis courtroom. As a last-ditch attempt to form a relationship with me, in 1993 she charged she was carrying my child, and stories to this effect appeared in the tabloid. This claim was thrown out of a Memphis courtroom as our lawyer proved with my passport that I was out of the country longer than her records claimed she was pregnant. Since she had no records to show she had left the country, the case was over before it began. I do hope the child who has my name and has been told I am her father learns that I am not the father and that I am very sorry she has had to suffer this lie. Hmm. It came out in pre-trial hearings and some of Bonnie's taped phone conversations she did talk about killing jerry lee lewis's son and she also apparently threatened the life of his wife carrie another tape conversation was with christian Brando mm-hmm. he's back again yes yeah, so i told you christian would come back into this story the quote from the conversations that made headlines was christian saying to bonnie quote you're lucky somebody ain't out there to put a bullet in your head yeah. Which, of course, in the headlines makes it sound like he's threatening to kill her. Right. But really, what reason would he have to I think he's her? just
1: remarking on yes, her he remarkable is. life. Yes.
0: In any case, when you hear more of the conversation, it sounds like he's warning her rather than threatening yeah. her. They're having a conversation about whether or not he was the father of the baby she was carrying. The tape was estimated to be made in October or November of 2000. He says, quote, you have no idea what you do to people with this shit. Think about it. It gets close. you lucky you know, I mean, not on my behalf, but you're lucky somebody ain't out there to put a bullet in your and head.
1: What reason would he have to kill he her doesn't, anyway? He was, yeah. he was
0: angry, but he yeah. wasn't thre- he was right. Threatening. and The baby wasn't his, you yeah, know. Uh, this was though. This was when she was telling both of them. Right. But when she was killed, yes, you he, know. Yeah, no, people if people were she thinking, had been killed right then. Right. Yeah, it would have made more sense. This was hardly a unique sentiment though. One of her former husbands, Robert Moon, told the police after her death, I told her years ago, somewhere down the road someone's going to kill her. Because she's playing everybody. Her former attorney in Memphis also weighed in, telling local TV news, had she been killed back during her Memphis days, quote, no, I would not have been surprised at all. <laughs> but Christian Brando having a famous name and having killed before was the one people <laughs> loved to talk about, even though he proved he was not even in Los Angeles that night. He was in Washington State. My assumption would be, Anybody who would want to kill her for whatever
1: reason, unless she had something going on nobody knew anything about, would be like, "Oh, thank God she's I on know. Robert Blake now, I and know. she's no longer my problem." Uh, yeah,
0: and and Robert Blake uh, supposedly it came out since some of this stuff he to- he supposedly saw an unfamiliar truck lingering around his neighborhood, but uh, you know that was after she- after he got accused, so who knows? Mm. In June two thousand and three. A woman came forward saying that she had overheard a phone conversation in which Christian Brando in a speaker phone conversation with Duffy Hamilton, yes, the same stuntman who says Robert Blake had tried to hire him. Christian Brando said, "We need to put a bullet in Bonnie Lee's head."
1: Like why? Cuz you- that's the kind of conversation you'd have on a
0: speaker phone with other people around. Or- around. The woman, Diane Matson, said she overheard the speakerphone conversation between the two men at the time her lawyer and spokesman did not tell Court TV how the two men, because that was where I got it from, how the two men knew each other or when the conversation took place. The L.A. County D.A. seemed skeptical of the story and said Diane Matson had changed her story since she was first interviewed. Eric Dubin, who was the civil lawyer for Bonnie Bakley's surviving family, said that Brando was just a convenient target. He said, quote, I think that Christian Brando is a satanic cult in the Robert Blake case. It makes good media, but has nothing to do with the truth.
1: Ooh, I like the use of satanic cult as a metaphor. In the
0: article I read, which was written at the time, he was actually referring to... Some other case where right. a well, Right, well, there was a time. I know, but it wasn't, he right. was referring to something specific, but right. yes. One satanic, satanic cults, panic. Yeah. <laughs> the satanic panic. Yeah. But it's true. Mm-hmm. Diane Matson was apparently a platonic friend of Christian Brando, which I say some friend, who was with him in Washington State at the time of Bonnie's murder. She didn't know Duffy Hamilton, but said she recognized the voice on the phone. Mm. Duh. Oh, I don't know this guy, but I recognize his voice. Yeah, on a speakerphone. Not surprisingly, this claim went nowhere. Yeah. Robert Blake finally went on trial December 20th, 2004. The trial lasted almost three months. Jesus. I know. The former stuntman didn't go on the stand until nearly the end of the trial. That's incredible for a trial with so little evidence. I know. <laughs> on February 7th, 2005, Gary McLarty testified that in March of 2001, Robert Blake approached him and offered him money to kill Bonnie Lee. But during cross-examination, he had difficulty remembering details. His mental problems in drug use, cocaine, and methamphetamines were also brought up. On February nine, two 2005, Duffy Hamilton went on the stand. During his cross-examination, his past convictions came up. Petty crimes, drug possession, gun charges, also his drug use. The prosecution rested on February 14th. The defense put relatives of the two retired stuntmen on the stand who told of the men's drug use and memory issues, and et cetera. And I also, besides the drug use, I'm sure being a stuntman, God only knows what your head's going right. through. I, I think it would
1: be difficult to put on a trial about something like this, without everybody being a drug addict, I know, I know. Person, because who who are the people who are you, who you're going to approach know, to
0: ask to kill I someone? Know. After closing arguments, the jury went to deliberate on March fourth, and I was I wrote, "Ugh, how long were closing arguments?" Because they rested on the fourth, or they rested on the Jeez. like a week. On uh, March sixteenth. They deliberated for over ten days. Robert Blake was found not guilty of murder and not guilty on the solicitation charges of Duffy Hambleton. The solicitation charge of Gary McClarty um was dropped because the jury was deadlocked eleven to one in favor of not guilty on that one. Los Angeles district attorney Stephen Cooley, after the verdict, called Robert Blake, quote, a miserable human being and the jurors, quote, incredibly stupid. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, it was a long, long trial, so I'm sure there was evidence. But yeah. there wasn't much well, against him, I honestly, seem to remember... It's kind
0: of hard to convict somebody. I know. I
1: seem to remember two things from the time were the the whole thing about him going back to get the gun was yeah, in case was they weird. found
0: gunshot residue oh, yeah, on his yeah, hand, yeah, yeah. he would have said, yes. well, I had my gun. And he did have some on his hand, but they and said and that And also that anything. he
1: was parked, and I'm just remembering this from years ago, so I could be wrong... In a weird place that he didn't usually park. He may have That was inconvenient and far from the restaurant, and that played some part in the circumstantial. I'm sure, I'm sure.
0: So his first lawyer was Tom Masuro, which is that guy with the white hair that was Michael Jackson's lawyer. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he quit after Robert Blake... They show a video of it. He had a deposition because, you remember, Bonnie's family was suing him. Well, there's a deposition where he told Robert Blake, I don't want you to talk at all. Don't talk, don't talk. And Robert Blake was getting pissed. He's like, I want to talk. And he's like, no, I told you not to talk. Dubin or whatever, their lawyer was trying to ask him questions. And Mesereau was like, no, I, he's not going to talk. He's not going to talk. I, Robert Blake got mad and Maslow got mad and he quit. And then he hired um, Harlan Braun as his defense attorney. And he quit after Robert Blake went on, did that interview with Barbara Walters mm. because he was pissed that he did that and didn't tell him. Right. So he went through a couple of lawyers. So he was, you know, he was acquitted. But in the fall of 2005, Bonnie Lee Backley's three oldest children went to court and the wrongful. civil suit against Robert Blake. Christian Brando was called to testify, uh, but he refused to speak on the stand citing his Fifth Amendment right instead of answering over 20 questions about his relationship with Bonnie Lee. And I'm assuming it was uh, Robert Blake's lawyers that called him. Mm -hmm. Although he did confirm that it was him on the tape saying the thing about someone putting a bullet in her head. Christian had been going through his own legal crap about this time. His ex-wife, Deborah, and her 13-year-old daughter had just filed a lawsuit in Superior Court the week before for violation of their civil rights, assault, domestic violence, battery, and emotional distress. In January of 2005, Christian had pled guilty to spousal abuse and was sentenced to drug and alcohol rehab and three years of probation. In her lawsuit, Deborah alleged that Christian, quote, repeatedly struck Ms. Brando with his hands and fist and threatened to kill her in the presence of her daughter he also allegedly forced deborah to have sex and threatened to suffocate her with a pillow Ugh. according to the lawsuit he chased his stepdaughter and said he would quote cut her up in a million pieces
1: wow no wonder he didn't want to testify in a deposition i know
0: their lawyer said quote there was no physical contact with deborah's daughter but she was put in fear of her life Interestingly, the same lawyer who represented Diane Mattson, the friend of Christian's who said she overheard that speakerphone convo, was Brian Oxman, and he was Deborah Brando's lawyer too. Mm. Christian countersued, saying that Deborah broke into his home and beat him because he wanted to annul their marriage only 10 weeks after the ceremony. The suits were settled in 2007 on undisclosed terms. Christian died in 2008 at age 49 of pneumonia. And I think Christian Brando probably was one of those guys that was okay until he drank and then he was an asshole. Yeah, it sounds like it. As for Robert Blake, his lawsuit with the heirs of Bonnie Lee Bakley was settled in their favor for $30 million. During the trial, Earl Caldwell's girlfriend admitted that she thought her husband and Robert Blake were involved, he, Earl Caldwell's a bodyguard, in Bonnie's death. Robert Blake had the same lawyer for criminal and civil trials, M. Gerard Schwartz, Bach. robert filed for bankruptcy in february 2006 in february 2007 Schwarzbach filed an appeal of the civil verdict and part of his argument was again a casting suspicion on christian brando blake's team also argued that the civil jury had talked about oj simpson and michael jackson during their deliberations but the judge said that wasn't improper there's was nothing wrong with that um, what else are you going to talk about i know In 2008, the verdict was upheld, but the penalty was cut in half to $15 million. They finally went into a private settlement, and I read um, later that all four of the children, so including Rose, got $500,000 each. In 2010, the state of California filed a lien against Robert Blake for over a $1 million in unpaid taxes. In 2015, the private investigator for Robert Blake's defense team, Scott Ross, told NBC News that he thought Robert Blake had something to do with Bonnie's death. Quote, I don't believe for one second he pulled the trigger, but yes, I do believe he was involved. He said Blake, quote, had everything to do with what happened. He also said that he thought they could have gotten a conviction if they hadn't gone after Earl Caldwell, but had instead offered him immunity to tell what happened. Mm-hmm. Which he's probably right. He
1: would have been nuts to have done it himself. Yes. Instead of NBC News
0: out. asked Earl Caldwell about it about Scott Ross, and he said, "quote I would take whatever he says with a grain of salt, and that's all I'll say about him." Mm-hmm. I was going to say at the time of the arrest, the DA had a press conference, and. One of the reporters said, well, who do you think pulled the trigger? And the DA said, oh, Robert Blake pulled the trigger. Mm. So that was their stance from the beginning. Ron Ito... Although maybe he couldn't find anyone else to do it. I know, that's what we want. Ron Ito, the LAPD detective in charge of the case, stood by his belief that Blake did the deed, though... He said, it's not your CSI case, but we thought we had a very good circumstantial case. We always wish we had an eyewitness. We all wish we had DNA. We always wish we had fingerprints on the murder weapon, but that's what Hollywood's made of. You can't always get those things. About the two witnesses they did have, the two ex-stuntmen, the jury didn't believe. Ito told NBC News, I wish those guys were upstanding citizens. We don't get those kind of people. Hmm. We don't get to pick our victims, and we don't get to pick our suspects. We don't get to pick our witnesses. hmm. Yes, Ronnie. You know, I want to first relate it to Lance Edo, the judge, O.J. judge. It's I-T-O spelled the same way. It's probably a common name. I know in 2002 before the trial started the New York Times wrote an article saying that L.A. wasn't interested in the murder in upcoming trial because people involved weren't A-list enough quoting, mm-hmm. the article, quote, quoting the article the details of the case evoke the most lurid film noir but unlike some notorious Southern California crimes of the recent past the mystery of the death of Bonnie Lee Bakley is a subject that remains unremarked upon in the higher echelons of Hollywood it is as if it were too distasteful to discuss, mm. lacking the frisson mm-hmm. that makes other cases intriguing. Youth, beauty, money, fame. In this case, those features have vanished. It's like, thanks a lot. Yeah. Then they quoted a senior executive of a major studio who said, quote, In the world of Hollywood, you have to think like Hollywood. There's the major motion picture from the big studio, then there's the independent successful film, then the big television then the good art film, then the bad one, then the bad television, then the schlock movies, and then celebrity boxing, <laughs> the bottom of the rung. These people aren't even at celebrity boxing status. Why Jeez. should we care? Jeez. Dominic Dunn wasn't going to cover it. He said, quote, O.J. was like an M.G.N. grand movie. This is like a B-movie from Republic Pictures. And, for and Republic who- Pictures, that's, in, that's oh, the yeah. studio that did the... um when he Robert Blake was Little Beaver, right Harvey Levine, I think it's Levin Harvey Levin, who used to have a syndicated show Celebrity Justice, and now he's like TMZ. Guy. He's the TMZ guy. Yeah. It, he said it's a B murder in this city. When there's a crime like this, everyone everyone sits down and says, "Okay, is this going to be underplayed or is this going to be overplayed?" This hasn't attracted as much attention as I at first thought it would. Perhaps it's too what is that word too real? Well. Maybe it didn't attract attention in Hollywood, but it's in where we lived, yeah. The New York Times article has a quote from one of Bonnie's tape phone calls. This one was between Bonnie and Robert Blake. He said, Quote, You swore to me, you promised me, you promised. You said, Don't worry, Robert, no matter what, I will have an abortion. You never have to worry about me getting pregnant. I'll take the pills. I'll have an abortion. It's okay, relax, enjoy yourself. I care about you. Hmm. And it was all a lie, and not a little lie. That's a big lie the kind of lie that God looks down upon and says, hey, wait a minute, that's an awful, mean, vicious lie. <laughs> yeah, that's a conscience. But there's also a weird one on um, the 2020 of her, which I thought was interesting, because this is another way she's she's messed up. Yeah. She's about to call Robert Blake, and she says, like, she, like, Puts a little thing in the beginning of it, so she'll know what the conversation's about. That she's trying to trap him into saying that he told her he was going to sell the baby for a hundred thousand dollars. So she calls him and she's like, "Remember when you told me you said if I had the baby, you're going to sell it for a hundred thousand dollars?" He's like, "No." (laughs) Like he was like, "What are you talking about?" (laughs) And she kept like trying to trap him into saying that, and he's just like, "He wasn't as easy to manipulate." Also, it's like. That's the kind of thing I'm saying. She, she's like, why would anyone say, Oh, yeah, I did say that. Because she's nuts. I know.
1: The other thing about him having to go back to get the gun is is another thing I always thought about it is he needed an excuse to not be there that was big enough. And what other excuse can you say if it's like, Oh, I have to go to the bathroom or whatever, you're gonna,
0: uh, uh, well, the restaurant's over there. Right. Let's wait
1: till we get home. And, I remember the bit. One of the biggest things I remember about this is the discussion of him going back to get the gun. I thought it was him leaving the gun in the restaurant. What are you doing? Him trying to explain how he left the gun in the restaurant. I'm not sure what kind of evidence they had over the three
0: months of the trial. I don't know. That's what I was like, oh, my but God. It's,
1: but it's like it, was that a, kind of weird, yeah. it's like it that unusual behavior. And he's one of the few people, I mean, she had a lot of shit going on. But, like I said, she was w- focused on him. Yes. So it, he would be the most yes. likely suspect. Most but, likely.
0: by the way, uh, when Robert went to prison, his older daughter, Delina... Took custody of baby Rose. She ended up adopting her and raising her, and I've read that she had a nice, normal upbringing. Oh, that's nice. A couple months ago, Robert Blake did an interview with 2020, like I said. He talked about his father, and he said... Quote, I wish I could talk nicely about him. You know, it'd be like me trying to talk nicely about the cops that put me in that cement box for a year. To this day, I hate him. And then he said, looking at the camera, I'm still here, you bastards. I'm still here. (laughs) I didn't die in that box. You got it. I'm still here. I'm 85 years old. I'm beat up all to hell and gone. But I'm still here and you're still pounding a beat. Smoke that. (laughs) <laughs> Probably saying, That's the name of that tune. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> or he used to say, He'd say, That's the name of that tune. And what was the other thing he always said? Well, that Put that in your fine, pipe and fine. smoke it, I think, yeah. actually. I think that he had somebody do it. Yes. He, either he, had he needed some... to make himself away. Right. Or he could have shot her. But I... I think he had somebody
1: do it and he had to be away from the scene yes. while they did it. Yes. So it wouldn't have been him. It would have been harder for him to do it
0: himself. Because and get he rid of the gun and get rid
1: of the gun and all that. Although,
0: where did he go? The one thing I was thinking of that I just thought of now actually is when he when, after he knocked on that guy's door, and then he like took off and then he came back. But he
1: would have had the gun with him, and he already had his other gun. Oh yeah. So he would have had two guns, he had a, <laughs> and if it was an old gun, it would have been hard it to put in be, be, like, it in his pocket. I don't would, even know.
0: But, but I think he, I think he most likely had somebody do it, probably Earl Caldwell, or yes. Earl Caldwell got somebody. I mean, you can hire somebody, t- I mean, right? And that's the thing, if you're a Hollywood, even if you're a B-list star or whatever, well, anyone you, with the money.
1: Unless you're doing it in the heat of the moment or somebody, you're going to, something, you're going
0: to hire someone
1: to do it. But if
0: you hire the right person, the, you, no one will ever know. Right. You know, if you hire, and it seems like what he was saying, I've been in Hollywood my whole life. I took that also, to mean I would know who to hire. Right. I wouldn't be asking these also, drugged out, you know, right. stuntmen. Right, and maybe he did ask them. He could have, and or he, he could does. have joking said, "I really want to get rid of her." Right. Him. I mean, you can't. I mean, I'm not saying he what the ending of life is right, but I can understand why somebody would feel trapped. She's younger than him. She's never going to go away. She's going to stay there, sucking all his money away from him, and, and being and annoying, and being his his in the. He would love right. to love loved his little daughter. Right. So who's now like probably a freshman in college.
1: So yeah, I think he did, but it's one of those things you're just never going to really
0: No. No, because oh, it's always called a mystery. It's a mystery of who
1: did it. But yeah,
0: then but. you wonder too who else if a different
1: investigator would have found out different things, I always wonder that. Well,
0: I wonder if they, sh- although they did have that extensive investigation, but I think that the way they went about it was they didn't have any evidence against him, and if federal Earl Caldwell did it, he just was not going to tell them. But I don't know, I mean, if they could have proved that he was at the scene, Earl Caldwell, then they would have. Right. So he could have hired somebody. Who knows? Right. You know, and... No, and you all I remember know.
1: from but, when it happened is the whole weird thing with the gun. The gun, that was... And also, weird.
0: where the car was yes. parked was considered
1: yes. weird, and it was not where anybody would see what was going yes, on, and it was correct. A, a farther distance from the restaurant. Or it's like, than, why
0: would you park somewhere? I'm sure they had a parking lot, or parking Although, you, you don't know, but, but yeah.
1: you know, you can't assume that it's in the middle of L.A., but, you know, you have to find a place to park, like any city, but I, I just remember, and I would have to go back and read or whatever and look, it being... There being closer places yeah. that he could. Yeah, have I re-
0: no, I remember that was-
1: the biggest thing is if you're going to do something like that, you don't talk. That's right. And if you don't talk, and they can't get any evidence on you, then
0: it's going to be hard to convict you. And he did. So yeah. he, I guess people could say he got away with it. Yeah, uh, well, he's old. But anyway. But also. But the other thing is, going to jail isn't is the only. lucky po- she got as far as she did right. in life. And also,
1: going to jail isn't the only. Po- I mean, people think, oh, justice has to be. But if somebody's life is wrecked, if they lose all their money, if their reputation is wrecked, that can be
0: as big as going to jail. It's just not the conventional. And, and I know people think that OJ got away with it, speaking of famous crimes, but he didn't really. His life is. Yeah, his, yeah, his life was. Is- his life's not what it was. Even though he had allegations of being a wife beater before, he killed his wife.
1: Yeah, it all came out. It all... It's impossible to explain to anyone
0: that... How big he was. Not only... I mean, he was a huge football college, then professional. He was handsome. He was in movies. I mean, he was... Big. And now, but I mean... But that was interesting. That was an interesting one-two celebrity punch. I know, I didn't know there was that much about Bonnie...
1: And I'm, I've got one, a good
0: one for next time that's totally different from this. And the one I'm doing, I'm going to start working on is vastly different.
1: Hey, this is Maureen. Uh, I'm just getting over the flu, which is why I sound even worse than usual. And also why this episode is so late. And we were supposed to record a goodbye. We forgot to do that. We didn't do recommendations on purpose um, for some various technical reasons. Just so you guys know, we should have said goodbye. So this is me saying goodbye. Until next time, bye.